This is EdTech God, and I hereby decree that flash talking shall be granted divine status with tools for creative personalization that are truly godlike. You could be more than omnichannel. You could be omniscient like me. Plus, with an independent ad server that covers open web, mobile, and CTV, you don't have to rely on that other big G. So stop praying for a way to get unbiased delivery for your campaigns and visit flashtalking.com slash pod. Tell them AdTech God sent you and you'll get all the PDFs you can read. That's flashtalking.com slash pod. And that's the word of God. Welcome to the AdTech God pod, your window into the world of advertising technology and the people behind it. I'm your host, AdTech God. Welcome, AdTech enthusiasts, to the fourth episode of the AdTech God Pod. I'm your host, AdTech God. I hope you enjoyed our last episode with the amazing Lindy Johnson. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend you go to Amazon Music, Spotify, or Apple and listen to it today. It was absolutely great, and she was an amazing guest to have. For today's pod, we have a truly remarkable guest joining us. She's been making waves in the world of ad tech, and her journey is nothing short of inspiring. Our guest today is none other than Lauren Wetzel, the Chief Operating Officer of InfoSum. InfoSum specializes in data collaboration and privacy solutions, which aims to unlock the value of data while addressing the growing concerns around privacy and data protection. Definitely a fast-growing and hot topic in our industry. But wait, there's more. Lauren's achievements have not gone unnoticed. She's the recent recipient of the Ad Age 40 Under 40 Award, a testament to her incredible contributions to this field. Lauren's impressive career includes key roles at some of the most influential companies in the industry, including Xander, Deloitte, and Freewheel. Her expertise and leadership have been instrumental in shaping the ad tech landscape, and I can't wait to dive into her insights, experience, and her views for the future of our industry. Lauren, welcome to the Ad Tech God Pod. Hello, AdTech God. That was a very lovely introduction, and I'm thrilled to be here. I am equally thrilled you are here. I am so happy to have you join us. You know, I've been a fan of yours for quite some time. I'm very familiar with InfoSum and what you're doing in the market. That was a wonderful introduction, by the way, to InfoSum. So you kind of already did the job. (laughs) It's part of what I do. You know, I want to promote the people. I want to promote the companies they work for. I think it's important to show your success. A little, you know, a boost doesn't hurt here and there. So, but thank you for being here today. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to to talk. Absolutely. So Lauren, I, I want to ask you, you've heard on some of the prior podcasts, I, I always start with the journey. I like to understand your background, where you come from and how you started in ad tech. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you as a person. How did you get into ad tech? Absolutely. So First and foremost, I'm currently Chief Operating Officer, as you said, at InfoSum. And in that role, because COOs can mean a lot of different things, I lead strategy, business development, client services, marketing, among a couple other things. But to sort of how I got there, leading up to what has been about now seven years as an operator in large companies like AT&T, Xander, and then scaling companies like InfoSum today, you had highlighted this, um, the bulk of my career has actually been in management consulting. So supporting clients across tech, media, telco, retail verticals, definitely within that capacity was the introduction to ad tech. 
um, an advertising introduction at the very early start, if you want to go really deep into the LinkedIn background, was actually that I started at Avenue A Razorfish back when it was actually called Avenue A Razorfish. Um, so that was sort of wow. the first, yeah, the first opportunity to kind of fall in love with the category, the industry, while it was starting to really transform in terms of digital and technology. But from Razorfish to consulting to Freewheel and Big Telco and now Infosum, I really think the through line has been in the industry focus. Um, and then the other through line is something you've said on this podcast before, which is people. And so industry focus, it really just has been at that intersection of media, technology, and data. The notion on people is that I've just made career decisions along the way based on people I know I can learn from, people I trust, organizations like consulting where you're constantly working in teams, building new teams, being in organizations that mentored and trained resources. So I feel more than anything, this journey in ad tech and in advertising more broadly, that I've just been fortunate to work for some of the best people in our industry, bosses, and also just you know with and alongside the best people in our industry. It's funny you mentioned that. So something Terry said on the first podcast was, you know, work for good people not good companies. And that, you know, the people you work with are really the ones that drive your success. If you're surrounded by people who are, who are positive and motivated and driven to succeed, it outweighs an existing successful company for the opportunities for you to grow. I take that too. I think it's really important that you pick who you work with, similar to how you pick a, a spouse or, or a boyfriend or girlfriend. I think you have to pick people who you agree with on the overall vision and direction and then work together collaboratively. So I, I love that you pick people and I'm all about people and the network. So I totally agree. I think it's the people. I think the only other, when I kind of look and it is challenging sometimes to think, well, wow, there's big companies, these are small companies. This was more of an operator role or more of a technical role. But I think the other element that's important in addition to people, because I would say, and I totally agree with Terry, and I love that podcast and that quote, is just that you want to be able to wear many hats, I think. And I think that's been a common thread in my career as well. So strategy, operations, more technical roles. I mean, consulting really trains you for that. They just throw you into a range of projects and situations. They expect for you to be an expert almost day one. I think in my role today at InfoSum, it's always about playing different roles, building new skills. And frankly, the result from this is I feel I also just leave with a more comprehensive view from these experiences and and it makes you more relatable. And then that goes back to people and empathy and, and having the ability to see what they see and, and work more effectively together. I love that. I, I think those are such important points that I think everyone should take to heart and listen to. It really is a driver for success. I think culture and people really help companies achieve all their goals. They're the foundation of all successful companies is a good culture. So I, I love that. And Lauren, question for you. What was like the biggest milestone in your career? The one that really took you from, I would say like a mid-level, entry-level ad tech employee to, you know, a C-level at a company and taking on more responsibilities and, and taking on more job role than maybe you were comfortable with prior? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the one that stands out in my mind because it was just such a time of change in terms of the work that we were doing. And then when I reflect on it, so much change in terms of my 
capabilities, where I stretch myself probably the most to sort of come out on the other side as effective and as proven. And, and then even as like a little bit more well-known as uh, when I was chief of staff. So I think a lot of people just assume I came to know either Brian Lesser, who's now my boss and was my boss within Xander AT&T, and some of the others is that I was, you know, one of his known people from Zaxis or Group M. And, and the funny thing is, is we actually were introduced because he was my client. He pulled into AT&T to be CEO of this new thing called Advertising Analytics, was going to kind of be acquiring some technology and standing it up. And I had been for over a year at that time with a Deloitte project leading on advertising with some of the other advertising leaders within AT&T. So thinking about synergies and possibilities, things like standing up an advertising business with AT&T and Time Warner, now Warner Media. So it's sort of that connection. And then that led to this role called Chief of Staff, which is the most confusing, up for interpretation role, whether you're in politics or whether you're in business. It means a lot of different things to a lot of people. But I think in that role, the things that I took on were just so widespread. So an example that I'm most proud of in terms of a tangible product was working on the transformation and renovation of our headquarters. So we had you know, AppNexus, which had this great headquarters in Flatiron District, and now it sat under the umbrella of a brand new launched brand name called Xander, an ode to Alexander Graham Bell. And we really just wanted it to feel and reflect the culture. And that was a mix of a lot of different things. Media sellers who were selling direct TV inventory, technologists and software engineers at the heart of AppNexus. And so is a project of, you know, one, listening, learning, managing construction teams, managing <laughs> across architecture teams. And it was just so much fun. And it was one of the examples of like, you can actually see and, and actually live in the space following. So it just felt so much satisfaction from that. But that was alongside doing a million other projects as chief of staff, because you kind of just get thrown the things that are tricky, the things that are hard, the things where there's not really one person to do it. And then there's a laundry list of things, I think, within AT&T in particular, that they had expectations that a chief of staff would sort of help support board meetings, operations review. And, and so there was always sort of like a laundry list of things you just did. Um, but I would say that was the the turning point in consulting. You're behind the scenes. You're in a small, you know, oftentimes cloak and dagger conference room with no windows and no one knows who you are. You're you're fairly anonymous, which I know more than anyone you can relate to. I, and, I relate. <laughs> and and so for me, chief of staff and in that role, and then that led me to strategy and corporate development, sort of you know a full leadership role, building out a team. It just finally felt like I was coming out and being seen and known for real tangible products, not just sort of the gal behind the scenes helping to, you know, support other people in in the projects that they're owning. You know, something you said, you mentioned listening, learning, and implementing. And I feel like those three points are, are something that people often ignore. I think we can listen and not learn. We can listen and implement without taking our learnings with us. But listening, learning from what people are telling us, and then implementing the right process or solution or structure is really a skill. And so I think as, as you were speaking, talking about your, your, your milestone, your career, and how you sat in a room with no windows, I think that is a huge step for someone to 
learn from the people around them and implement the right solution for whatever project or company they're working for. So I'm actually writing that down and starting it <laughs> because I, I like it. I don't know if you meant to say it, but I loved it. And I think it's something that I'm going to uh, try to live by. So it's very good. All right. We've heard about your success. We know all about InfoSum, 40 under 40. It's a big deal, by the way. So congrats again. What about challenges, failures? Like, What was something in your career, I mean, it could be career, it could be personal, whatever you feel comfortable talking about, where you felt like, wow, I'm really down on my luck. Because we, we have a lot of people right now in our industry that are struggling, looking for work. The market is not very strong. And how did you cope with it? And, and what advice do you have for, for people today? It's a very good question. I think one that isn't necessarily a, a challenge or, or I guess I'll just clarify that it's, it's not a regret because I think you learn from all of these things and you kind of move on. But I think the one thing was I worked at Freewheel and I was there in a really awesome role with a lot of transformation and a lot of opportunities and a lot of really exciting things. And there had been just like a few challenges, some personnel challenges, some changes across. And I think as the leadership team was trying to rally and address them, I think in my mind, as someone who likes control, I'll say, <laughs> I just controlled the situation in the best way that I knew how, which was I'm going to back to sort of my orientation towards people. I'm going to go to the people I trust, be with the people I trust. And and so I went back to Deloitte. And so it was a shorter stint than I think anywhere else within my career. And it, I think Freewell had so much other upward trajectory and success. And I think there would have been some great opportunities. And I do think there was huge support that I had from the leadership team to try and, you know, kind of get through to the other side of addressing some challenges. But I think I, in being a little bit of a control person or, you know, person who wants control, you know, I just kind of solved it. Like I solutions oriented, like here's a situation, here's a complication, here's what I can do about it. And I have you know, a firm that I worked for and, you know, had success in, and I can easily go back there and kind of pick back up on a track that I was on before, which would have included, you know, included business school and, and back to consulting and, and back right. to that world. I mean, the good news is I found, I found my way back to being an operator, to being a technologist. It's a little bit of the door, the window of opportunity that you do reflect on. You think of well, what would have happened if I just I stayed there, you know, you skip business school, this, that, and the other thing. But again, it's it's back to, it, it was a good reflection that sometimes you need to trust the process. Sometimes you can trust people. Sometimes you don't always need to be in control. And, you know, I think it, it could have led to just more experiences and, and sort of being in that next chapter of Free Will's history, which as most people know who follow you, um, you know, they've had a great story and they have a, such a strong culture. So, I think it would be that. And and it's interesting because I've never, I've never said that before. <laughs> and I didn't know you yeah. were going to ask me that question. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I kind of threw it in there and, 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 but you make a good point because I'm, I'm kind of similar, Lauren. It's not that I want control. It's, I, I think for me, I want clarity. You know, and if I don't get the clarity and things are swirling around me, it puts me in a very uncomfortable situation. So I either want full transparency, just give it to me. Like, clearly what's going on, what's the process, what's the goal, what's the vision, 
What are the changes that are coming? I cannot sit in the dark. It destroys me. And I've realized that over the last 20 years, that that is probably one of the biggest things that causes me to not enjoy my day. I want to know what's happening at all times. I wouldn't call it control. I think I like transparency. So thank you for sharing that. I love that you opened up about it. That's great. <laughs> so I'm going to jump into the next one. And this is probably the coolest part of the podcast that I'm trying to stick to as much as possible. Obviously, the industry is changing. It's constantly changing. There's some contraction. There's some expansion product rolling out. There's privacy uh, regulation changing. There's cookie talks. There's Google talks. Where do you see our industry trending overall or any particular sector of our industry in the coming you know, 6, 12, 18 months? Sure. I mean, I think first, and I think Terry in his podcast hit on this, but I always think first of just macro trends. And the one statement I actually think everyone would agree with is that our industry broadly across advertising is just still in transition. And so it's been over a decade now of transformation, which can be messy. It can cause confusion, but also optimistically, it's the greatest time for opportunity for innovation and growth. I think the thing that is so unique and I, I watch this on, you know, with your following and engaging in conversations is, you know, while, as you mentioned, the industry is experiencing some headwinds, that's both on the demand side, that's on the supply side, that's across technology. A lot of the points that you just mentioned is that there just doesn't always seem to be so much consensus. And what I mean by that is that can be on timing. So when will ad spend pick up and what's the prediction there? When will regulations come? When will cookies die? And then it can also just be simple disagreement on whether something is seen, you know, as a headwind or a tailwind. So is this good for the industry? Is this bad for the industry? Does someone look at cookie deprecation as a problem or see it as an opportunity and upending identity, generally speaking, or even privacy regulation? So I think the the notion of what's good news and what's bad news, but I have good news because the way that I see the industry playing out, and I think that this sort of you know, kind of one consistency, I would say that I typically see in times of this level of transformation is this notion of thoughtfulness. So during times of challenge or confusion or transformation, so that's whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I find that individuals and organizations get a bit more thoughtful. I find CEOs end up taking steps back. They ask themselves, what's the most critical thing? They, they take the list of five down to three. What are the no regret decisions or investments to make? And I think with you know the area that I sit in and, and privacy in particular, we're taking advantage of that trend because for me, I look at the notion of protecting your consumer relationship. That is a no regret decision. And I also see smart businesses turn to what has often been seen as a challenge on privacy into a business advantage, which is really important. And, and I love that that transition, this notion that privacy or compliance was just like an eye roll element and now seeing it as something that's that's injecting life into innovation and change. I think in general, the, the, the sort of kind of wrap up last point, and I, I'd love your thoughts on this, is just in general, in addition to no regret decisions, I just think companies examine more closely. They ask tougher questions and they damn and everything with a new lens of efficiency and a lens of moderation. And so 
when you're in a time when every investment matters, you know that you need performance and proof of return. And again, to, to bring it back to advertising and ad tech, and let's say clean rooms in particular, data collaboration, I think we have some really great examples of the performance there, the results there. And so, you know, it's not just the no regret decisions because it's right, you know, for the business, it's right for your consumers. And that's the notion of sort of privacy and security, but it's also about innovation and performance, which I think at the end of the day within advertising, you know, everyone wants return on investment during these challenging times. I agree, Lauren. I think there's no such thing called I regret being overly secure for my consumers' data and for their privacy. I think if a company in particular is looking at security and privacy as a thorn in their side, they're probably looking at it the wrong way. The, the reality is regulation is changing and it's going to continue to change. And if anything, the regulations are becoming more and more strict over time. So whether this is a six-month or 24-month or five-year outlook on how we collect and store and share data, you can't really look at it as, am I seeing a massive return on investment? I would say the return on investment is not getting a data breach or not leaking user data and not being sued for $50 million. So the investment might not back out directly into, wow, I made $5 million from securing this new solution for my company. It should really be looked at as, what am I avoiding? And avoiding a lawsuit or a major breach is well worth it. At least that's my, my perspective. Totally. And I think you brought up a really good, you know, longer term, the long view, as Terry Kawaja would say, a longer term view of that level of return on investment and making these decisions to just prioritize privacy and therefore, you know, new processes, new technologies, we sort of fit within that. But then I also think it, you know, it comes down to advertising performance as well. And so, you know, how is this notion of what data collaboration ultimately enables is you're working more directly, therefore there's more transparency, therefore you're maintaining control. But what we're also seeing is, you know, from a brand's perspective, incremental lift and an increase right. in brand awareness and consideration and on the publisher side, a two times increase in CPMs. And those are the things that I think, you know, the business stakeholders want to see, I think, if I'm a CEO in today's world and like every single, you know, company data is critically important, I just wouldn't take the risk for my own reputation and for my business by not doing that. And so, you know, it goes back to no regret decisions, which is a, a, a good place to be. This is at Tech God, and I command you to listen to this commercial message. I have been watching with growing frustration as my media buying flock has been tricked by MFA, outstream, and gamed metrics like viewability. So I say, let there be attention metrics. Adelaide is the leading attention metrics vendor. They create AU to replace viewability and help you better measure the quality of the ads you buy. AU is integrated into all the DSPs, so it's easy to use. Don't make me smite anyone. Use Adelaide. Agree. I think if it, it was um, it was my responsibility, it would be something I, I explore and look into. I also think that in, in general, I've posted this before, I'm not a clean room expert 
whatsoever. I actually think you or, or someone from InfoSum had shared documentation with me at some point, I think on, on X or on LinkedIn, which I looked at. A couple other people in the industry sent me docs because I was self-educating myself. I think that's also a big industry issue is, is companies don't necessarily know how they could use this. So whether you're a publisher or whether you're an advertiser, people still lack some general knowledge of real life use cases for it. So we definitely need a little bit more education in the market as to how data clean rooms in particular can be beneficial to your company. Completely. And and best practices. I think that comes with time. Right. You know, and I, I think that you could either wait for these sort of broader macro trends we've talked about, whether that's, you know, identifiers being deprecated like cookies or maids, IP, et cetera, or regulation to sort of being a driving force. I think those who are the greatest adopters of data clean room technology is that they're using it to launch new products. And so I think the more that those products are out in market getting center stage and the clean room technology data collaboration infrastructure that's powering it is more backstage, behind the scenes, I think it's going to be much more easy for everyone to digest. And so we've got some great examples of that. And and I'm I'm grateful that that you read through some of our guides. I I have an incredible we at InfoSum just have an incredible team that works incredibly hard to just extract those case studies. And I think that's what ends up making it much more easy to describe. And like all things in ad tech, if you can't explain it in a way that your 10-year-old or your you know grandmother like can understand it, understand the why, understand what's happening, then it's really confusing. It'll continue to be more confusing before it's clear. Don't don't get me wrong, <laughs> because there is just so much noise, and we're kind of in the the heat of the hype cycle, which is, you know, almost it's a blessing because it's exciting and everyone's asking. It's a curse because sometimes, you know, I'll I'll, I'll get the question like, "Please, I need a clean room," and I'm like, "Amazing! Like, what are you looking to do?" It's like I don't know. I just know I need a clean room. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. I I saw a post somewhere on LinkedIn and sounds great. How, how, how can I use this or what does it do? And I could see that happening. I'm, I'm big on self-educating myself. So, um, whether or not it's a requirement of my job today, I don't let my job dictate what I learn and what I specialize in. So I'm constantly reading and looking at PowerPoints when I can get them, trying to take a look at case studies so I can just become a better, more knowledgeable person. And so I would love it maybe after this pod, when we record and when we release this, I'd love it if you had some sort of resource link. I can share it also in the post at the bottom, where if you want to learn more about data clean rooms, you know, you can reach out or in the Slack channel I've created, which is now, I can't believe it, over a thousand people. Slack is going to kill me. Um, <laughs> but it's now over a thousand people somehow in seven or eight days. So that's been pretty incredible. But I would love more documentation. I think people need to learn more about industry solutions in general. Totally agree. All right. Any advice that you have as we're, we're sort of nearing the, the end, any advice you have for any ad tech professionals in terms of educational programs, networking? Well, I think you're following you and you're kind of the bounty of tie-in to educational programs, the, the formal ones that exist out there, the, the informal ones, which is just the dialogue 
So I, I will not claim to be the expert on pointing people to the right websites or resources, but I think you've been doing that and that's amazing. I think for me, there's sort of two things that I think are important. And and this is sort of the world according to Lauren Wetzel. So I recognize that there's there's probably a million others and, and maybe they, they fall top of your list. But for me, my biggest piece of advice is to be resourceful. And so consulting taught me that where there's a will, there's a way, how to be resourceful. And I think especially early in your career, especially in ad tech where there's constant curveballs and it's always changing. And again, there's no consensus as we talked about on whether something's good or bad or you know, starting or stopping. My advice is just whether you're in media, tech, advertising, any industry, a resourcefulness is just a tool you'll always use. Sometimes it means using just hard work or grit, or other times it means finding a way to influence others and get the help that you need. You get dropped into situations and projects. You need to get up to speed quickly and impress immediately. And then I think over time, it just becomes this muscle that you can start to try on and you learn to approach new challenges or unknowns without immediately focusing on what you don't know or a gap in experience. You just dive in confidently because you've been able to do that before. And so I think resourcefulness is is also just about optimizing what you do have to work with or can even be, you know, the ability to kind of make the old way of working just better. And so that that would sort of be one. So it's a, almost more of like a state of mind and and sort of a, a habit to get into really early in your career and something to ask people about how they kind of go about it. I think the second piece of advice is just a more tactical one and something I've done that I think has changed the way that I manage my career proactively, which is build your own personal board of directors. I can't remember for the life of me, which article I read or book I read that specifically pointed to this. But at some point in my career, I read this and at first I thought it was silly. And then I started doing it a bit more informally. So I I do not mean that you have like a quarterly meeting on the calendar and, and everyone is summoned. I mean, identify early on who are the reliable folks that you can rely on, who can be these independent advisors for you. So I don't mean your boss or everyone who's within your current company. This is not just a group of senior folks who are successful or who are your mentors. It should include peers, people who have worked for you. And like all good boards, you want diversity. And so that could be in terms of skills, levels, roles, because each of those directors should probably specialize in a different area. Maybe it's about finding work-life integration and there's somebody who can kind of really help you master that. Maybe it's somebody who knows how to you know, go from one type of job to another. And so I think the thing that I've spent a lot of time on and have cared for is just, you know, thinking about that and, you know, I'm just nurturing it. It's like you've said a lot of times within networking and building your network, it's just you got to nurture these relationships. But but in, in your own mind, you should formalize it. You, you, yeah. You're the own CEO of your own career and your life, and you deserve a really effective board. I love that. I love that. I don't think I ever looked at it that way. I mean, obviously, there are friends that I'm able to message and call and, and bounce ideas or just talk about industry stuff or even just general guidance for, for my career. I never thought of it as my own board of directors. And I'm going to make them t-shirts now. I'm going to send them t-shirts. <laughs> but I love that. I actually really love that. Both those, both of those are 
amazing. So being resourceful, you know, build your own board of directors at all levels, all experience levels, and all kind of responsibilities, I think is great. Lauren, this is this has been incredible. I mean, some key takeaways for me. Honestly, I, I really do love the listen, learn, and implement. And I think that particular process itself should be in that order without skipping anything. Don't just learn without listening to your people. Don't just implement without learning. You need to follow that path in order for you to make the right decisions across the board. And I love the skill of being resourceful. I feel like that would reduce such a high level of anxiety and stress if you have your own internal process to seek information that you need, whether it's people or products or, or solutions, and then board of directors. So I'm definitely getting one of those. I'm going to formalize it and maybe create a, a text messaging group and we'll name it that. <laughs> so thank you. This, this has been absolutely amazing, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Lauren. Speak soon. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the AdTech God Pod. Stay connected with us for more insights, trends, and interviews in the realm of AdTech. Don't miss out on our latest updates. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Keep the conversation going and stay at the forefront of AdTech innovation.